0: Coming up on today's episode, we got a lot of Dolphins talk to get to yet again. My God, I can't wait till football season. I cannot say that enough. I know I said that a lot of my last podcast, but it's true. I mean, time is ticking. Can we get football season here already? (laughs) But other than that, I'm going to be sharing my thoughts on this article that I read about Brian Flores, and I'm going to give you my reaction, and I'm going to tell you exactly what was said. So you definitely want to hear my take on that. And also, I'm going to be diving into a couple expectations that I have for Tua going into year two. I'm going to also dive into his stats in his rookie season and give you guys a little bit of a, you know where I stand and what I think is going to happen this following season coming up. And also, NBA playoff talk, that Suns Clippers series, hmm, and that Hawks and Bucks series. I'm going to be diving into my thoughts on both of those as the NBA Finals is almost set. It's almost here. And I'm pretty sure a lot of you guys did not expect either of these teams to be in the Western Conference and Eastern Conference finals. But here we are, right? You just got to enjoy. As an NBA fan, I'm having a lot of fun watching these playoff games. So I'm going to share my thoughts on all of them and a whole lot more. And now for today's episode. Welcome to the Miami Sports Vibes Podcast, episode 24. I hope you all had a fabulous weekend this past weekend. Hope you're enjoying some NBA playoffs. I hope you guys are all excited for football season because that is almost, almost here. But before we get started, I do want to thank you all for tuning in and also for the continued support. If you're listening to me from wherever you are, I am extremely grateful. I've seen a lot of people from the UK listening, a lot of people from Canada, a lot of people from Ireland as well, and all around the world. So shout out to you guys. Thank you for continuing to listen to me and also just support. I cannot thank you enough. I'm extremely grateful. I just want to shout you guys out from uh, all across the world. Thank you. Also, anybody listening to this podcast, if you're not following me on Twitter and you're listening to me, please follow me. My Twitter handle is at SportsVibes305, so feel free to follow me there so you know what I'm doing and what I'm getting into, a couple podcast previews, and also some tweets about all Miami sports. I got some Dolphins tweets there, some Heat tweets, and also NBA talk. I'm, I'm tweeting a lot about these playoffs. So feel free to follow me there and also message me if you want to talk about anything in specific. My DMs are open, so feel free to get at me there. And yeah, like I mentioned earlier, I have a lot of things to get to in this episode. You guys are going to enjoy it. So let's get right into it. All right, so let's get into some Miami Dolphins football talk here. Now that minicamp is all done with, OTAs are all done with, now everyone is just focusing in mid-August for Dolphins preseason football, followed by the regular season. I can't freaking wait. I mean, I'm getting tired of spending all of these Sundays waking up and having no football to watch. It's really, really stressful at this point. And honestly, I can't even wait for preseason, not just the regular season. Hell, I'll take even watching a live scrimmage at this point. I just can't wait to watch our guys out there, and I'm sure a lot of you guys can relate to that. But let's talk about some Dolphins football. So over the past week, something that caught my eye, which I'm sure a lot of you Dolphin fans did see, was that report about Brian Flores being on the hot seat this coming year, as if he's going to get fired, right? You got to be freaking kidding me. <laughs> if you guys haven't heard about that, I'm going to read you the article right now. Well, the, the part in the article where he said this. This was written by Jason Law. Confora, I'm not sure if I'm saying that name right, but this is what he said. Here's the full quote here. If things go poorly in Miami and a regression in 2020 shouldn't shock anyone. I believe Flores would actually win a power struggle if it comes to that. Whether or not Tua becomes a thing or not, will have ramification for those involved in selecting him. Constantly running out of coaches and players who were just selected the previous year and put in critical positions is an unusual way of breeding chemistry and cohesion and creating that other played out word, the C word apparently, he puts, culture. There are a lot of rumblings around the industry about all not being well in Miami, in parentheses, he puts, which has pretty much been the norm for the last few decades now, okay? And people are already keeping a close eye down there. So right there, he says, There's a lot of rumblings around the industry about all not being well in Miami, and people are already keeping a close eye down there. What I have to say to that? Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. There are so many things wrong with that whole article right there. Flores being on the hot seat. Out of all the coaches in the NFL who should be on the hot seat, he's going to list Brian Flores as one of them. You got to be freaking kidding me, right? Listen. All Dolphin fans know this, but to the people that don't, let's just reiterate what Flores has done since he's came to Miami. Year one, okay? You guys remember, he had arguably what? The worst roster in the NFL? At least in my eyes, that was probably the worst roster in the league that year. I mean, we had assigned practice guys to come fill out our team, and a lot of the guys did play well. Remember, he had no Xavier Howard and led that team to a 5-11 and season. When everybody, everybody, including myself, thought that that Dolphins team can probably win three games max. A lot of people were saying two games. I'm pretty sure some, somebody said they might even go winless after we got smoked by the Ravens that opening day. But what did we do? Five wins with that roster. And not only that, they were playing competitive every single game playing competitive. They were losing close games. And that's all you can ask for as a fan at that point. With the way that roster was and bringing in a new coach, based on all the history that we had in this Dolphins franchise, all you wanted as a fan was to have a coach that can come in here, create an identity, change a culture, and have these guys playing hard, even if our roster isn't talented. Just play hard out there. And Flores delivered that, didn't he? And after just one season, just one, his first one with the Dolphins, people really started to respect him nationally and obviously us within from year one. I mean, people were already buying in and impressed, but what he was able to do, despite the lack of talent, ultimately leading guys into wanting to come here in free agency the following year. I mean, you guys remember in that offseason, we brought in guys like a Kyle Van Noy. We brought in guys like a Shaq Lawson, Emmanuel Ogba, and rounding out that defense just how Flores wanted to. Remember, he's a defensive guy. But the fact that people like that, proven people at that, were willing to come to Miami, you think they just come here for no reason? Obviously, the weather is nice. Obviously, no state taxes. It's fun to play in Miami. But ultimately, these are well-proven guys, especially like a Kyle Van Noy you come here because you believe in Flores, you trust in Flores, and you see what we're building here in Miami. And then obviously, you tie in the weather and all that to that. Of course. But ultimately, it starts with Flow. Coach Flow changing that culture. After that first season, after signing all these guys, what did he do the following season? This past season, as you all know, a 10-win season, which is by far, think about it. To me, that's pretty much one of the best Dolphins football seasons that I've seen in my lifetime, at least. I know we had a 10-win season with Adam Gase, but this past season was the most remarkable season that I've seen watching Dolphins football. And not only was it a 10-win team, but it was a top defense in the league. I believe we finished six Before that Buffalo Bills game, I think we were top three in the league, if I'm not mistaken. But nonetheless, look at that. Year one, worst roster in the league. Get you five wins and 11 losses. Following season after that, he jumps that by five wins, 10 and six, despite dealing with injuries with the whole team. Preston Williams was banged up a little bit. Mike Gasicki was banged up a little bit. Miles Gaskin went down with the COVID thing, right? And then you're balancing, you know, Tua and Fitzpatrick, and you have the whole media trying to stir things up at the, in the middle of that. And despite all of that, he leads them to 10 and six with a top defense. This man on the hot seat? Are you kidding me? Oh, my God. It's obvious that the culture has changed, and Flores is a big, big reason of it. I mean, he was a coach of the year candidate this past year, and it's clear that this guy is clearly, clearly, clearly one of the best coaches in the league. Yes, he hasn't delivered a playoff berth just yet. I'm assuming that's coming this following season. I'm not saying he's a top five coach in the league, top three, but he's one of the best, and at least he's over... The average coach. He's more than an average coach. That's what I'm saying. But the players love him. And especially after defending his teammates, which to me as a fan, that was a big, big moment for me. Right then and there, that game against the Bengals when players were knocking out our people and talking all that shit. Brian Flores went out on the field and he wanted all the smoke defending his teammates. Right there, I'm sure as the players and me as a fan, right then and there, I said, okay, this is the coach right here. I love this guy players were probably like, man, I want to play for this guy for the rest of my career. That's such a big moment. This is exactly what Miami needed. They needed a coach like that. They needed it so, so bad. And we got it. So to the guy that wrote that article, man, you are clearly, clearly out of your mind. And if you truly believe that, that's just a shame that you could even be a writer at this point. But he probably did it just for clicks. And you know what? For his own sake, I really hope that that's the reason why. Because my God, was that an awful, awful take. You got to be freaking kidding me. Brian Flores on the hot seat? Come on now. All right, besides all that Brian Flores talk and all that, I want to talk a little bit about Tua's rookie season and my expectations for him this following season. Because as a Dolphin fan, he is the quarterback. He is the big question mark. He's the guy who we love to defend, who we want to succeed the most. So talking about Tua is always something I like to do. So I took a little deep dive and I was looking into his rookie season number. So obviously he finished with a 6-3 and three record, 11 touchdowns, 5 interceptions, and threw for 1,814 yards. Three of those interceptions, by the way, came in the last game of the season where we were down early and we had a forced passes. And if I'm not mistaken, about two of them were in a player's hands and then they bounced off the player's hands and went right into a Buffalo Bills player's hands. For an interception. Listen, that game was over from the beginning, so we had to force passes because there was no shot of us even running the ball, wasting time. We had to be aggressive in order to have a chance, and that was a win or go home game for us. So honestly, that game for Tua, I don't even really count it, but I understand it's on the stat sheet. It did happen, so it technically has to count. But a lot of the guys that are bad mouthing Tua, seriously, I know for a fact you guys did not watch all of Tua's games. Because if you did, you should be impressed with that rookie season. Yes, it could have been better. Don't get me wrong. But besides those two drops by players, you're looking at possibly an 11 touchdown and three interception season right there. And that's from a guy that's coming off a hip surgery. That's from a guy who wasn't starting from day one. He had Fitzpatrick starting from day one. He was the backup. He got thrown into the fire. And he honestly, he didn't shoot us in the foot. When you have more touchdowns and interception, especially by double, and you have a positive record, that's all you can ask for. Listen, I'd rather you do that than have big stats and you're throwing four touchdowns and three picks. Like, no. Be who you are. This is who I knew Tua was. This is who I want him to be. I want him to continue being himself. Keep on making smart reads. Keep on throwing the ball accurately don't need there's no need to listen to this outside noise when people say hey Tua's got to be more aggressive Tua's got to do this Tua's got to force these balls that's not Tua that's never been Tua so stop trying to change his game and and do this like let the kid grow let the kid be himself listen he had a he had no offseason. he couldn't work on anything but his body rehabbing he couldn't work on his mechanics he couldn't work on his game and like i said it was Fitzpatrick's team And he was not the starter from day one. He was thrown in and he finished with a 6-3 and record. So please, any of you guys, if you still doubt Tua, give the kid a break and let him shine. And that's what he's going to do this coming season. Because obviously, he has everything he needs to be successful. He has the offseason to work on his mechanics. He has the new weapons. He has speed now, not just possession receivers. The list goes on and on. Let the kid shine. I'm telling you, he's going to be great. I'm really really optimistic about him. Honestly, I'm saying that in all honesty, not just because I'm a biased Dolphin fan, but I really like what I've seen from Tua. I like his ability to throw accurate balls. I like his leadership, just the way he carries himself as well. Always seems like a positive guy. You 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 can't teach a lot of these things that Tua has. And I really think he's going to dominate. I can see him, honestly, I can see him throwing over 30 touchdowns this season, especially especially if that young O-line continues to develop the way that we expect and the way that they should. And honestly, the, the reason why I say he can do that is for a numerous amount of things, one being, like I said earlier, the full offseason, working on his body and his game, the new weapons, adding the wide receivers that have speed, not just possession receivers like a Mike Kosicki or a Devontae Parker. And he's the starter from day one. There's no Fitzpatrick. There's no none of this stuff. It's, it's all you, man. It's all you. And obviously, the new offensive coordinators built to help Tua. It's not Chan Gailey, where that was for Fitzpatrick. It's literally guys for him that are going to put him in position to be successful. And honestly, the media, I'm sure he hears all that shit, all the shit talking that they, that they do about Tua. That's just adding more fuel to the fire. And I think all of those reasons that I just stated is why Tua is going to be successful, and he's going to prove all these doubters wrong. I'm expecting an 11-win season for the Dolphins at least. I'm, I think they can get to 12, but if we can at least get 11 and one up the previous year, that's all you can ask for, man. So, listen, easy on the Tua hate. Hey, if you're a Dolphin fan and you, you don't really don't like Tua, what are you doing? He's a starting quarterback for our team. He's a young kid. Root for him to be successful. You guys want a championship? Then don't slander the young man. Support the young man. Be behind him just like I am. He needs the support. What good does it do if you go to games and you're booing Tua? What good does it do if you're a Dolphin fan and you're tweeting at Tua saying, hey, we need to get rid of you. We should get Watson or things like that. What are you really doing? What are you doing? What's your goal? What is your goal? What is the purpose? Support the young man. Watch him grow. Enjoy it. Because these Dolphins are headed in the right direction. And that is thanks to Coach Flores, Chris Greer, and it will be thanks to Tua. All right, so let's dive into some NBA playoff talk, starting with that Suns and Clippers series. Now, last time I talked to you guys about this series was following Game 1, which was unbelievable. That was Devin Booker's 40-point performance. But quickly, let's talk about the games leading up to the point where we are now. And Game 2 was unbelievable. That was a crazy game. A lot of back and forth, a lot of chippiness, as to be expected in this series with these two teams. And Paul George had a great game, honestly. He did have a good game, but he missed two key free throws at the end, which ultimately probably was the reason why the Clippers lost the game. That's just my opinion. A lot of people say, oh, that's not the reason because there was other opportunities. But to me, that's the reason. I think if Paul George does hit those two free throws late, I see that the Clippers hold on and win that game. But the Suns were down one and there was 0.9 seconds. And Jay Crowder threw an unbelievable lob from the baseline, which was a tough angle. If you guys seen the video, you guys know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't, I suggest you go look it up. You can find it anywhere, YouTube, on Twitter just the angle that Jay Crowder threw that lob to Aiden from was unbelievable. It it was unbelievable. So Aiden caught the lob for the win with 0.9 seconds left, and he won the game. A lot of people thought it was goaltending, including myself, before I listened to the broadcast, and they said, that's a live ball, and it's a pass from out of bounds, so there's no goaltend, there's no offensive interference, and that can't be called at all, which was like, I was like, wow. Okay, so I learned something there today. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful play by Monty Williams to draw up that play, and a nice screen by Devin Booker, which actually gave Aiden a couple seconds to go up without being contested and just throw it down. So beautiful pass by Jay Crowder, beautiful call by Monty Williams, and a beautiful screen by Devin Booker, and obviously the finish by Aiden, which led the Suns to take a 2-0 lead going into game three. And game three, Chris Paul was cleared to return to the lineup. And I'm going to be honest with you. I thought him coming back was going to spark the Suns team. And I thought the Clippers were doomed. Obviously, I know that teams have to take care of home court and the Clippers had home court and they've been down 0-2 before in a series. So I did expect them to win at first. But once I heard that Chris Paul was coming back, I said, okay, this is the exact motivation spark that the Suns needed. And I thought they were going to take care of business, but nope. The Clippers actually took care of business and took care of their home court. And they won that game. If Chris Paul had 15 points, 12 assists, but for some reason, it didn't feel like he had a great game. He was 5 of 19 from the floor. Devin Booker was 5 of 21 shooting in game three. It was something about Chris Paul that game where you didn't really feel his impact. I mean, the stats look good, but I was starting to think like, man, 5 of 19 shooting, that's unlike Chris Paul. And he didn't really look like the Chris Paul we've seen. And I was like, "Uh uh-oh, does he have COVID symptoms still? Because remember, there was talk that Jason Tatum, you know, he couldn't really recover from his COVID symptoms for a while, and he was playing through it. But I was like, you know what, maybe I'm overthinking. I'm going to be looking into game four very closely at Chris Paul and seeing how he handles it and how he feels. And he looked way better in game four. But uh, back to game three, Paul George. He finished with 27 points, 15 rebounds, 8 assists. He took the game over and led them to victory, 106-92, making that series 2-1. And that led into the game four that I was just talking about, where I was keeping a close, close eye on Chris Paul and his body language and how he was going to be able to perform. Because honestly, I was like, this is going to be a dogfight. The Clippers are trying to protect home court. They're coming off a win. And I was like, man, that would be a lot of pressure if this series goes 2-2 and the Clippers get all that momentum and all that confidence going into Game 5 in Phoenix, I was like, ah, if this goes 2-2, this series could possibly go 7. So to me, there was a lot of pressure on the Suns. And then also Devin Booker ended up fouling out that game. Booker got a technical as well. Paul George got a technical. Pat Beverly got a technical. Cameron Payne got a technical. So obviously there was a lot of chippiness in that Game 4. As you know, that teams really needed this win, both sides. The Clippers needed it to be 2-2. The Suns needed it to avoid some pressure, having it 2-2 going back to Phoenix for Game 5. But it's just crazy how this Suns team handles all types of adversity throughout this whole playoff run. That's why I think they're going to win the title. Because they've been battle-tested in so many different ways. You're talking about Chris Paul hurting his shoulder in the first round, right? Then you knock out the championship Lakers, ultimately. Booker, he struggles, right? Some of those games, they find ways to win even when Booker's struggling. And then Chris Paul being out with the COVID, having to win with and without Chris Paul. Bench players filling in like a Cameron Payne, stepping up to that moment. It's incredible. It's incredible. All of these big wins and things that they've been able to do and not giving up. They stay in the moment and they never get too excited. They never get excited until the series is complete. You can tell. You can tell in their interviews. If you watch some of the post interviews, like I've been watching myself, they're never too excited after a win. They take the win, but they say, hey, we got we to gotta perform the next game. This series isn't over. They have respect for the team. They know the Clippers are a good team. And that right there, I think that has to do with Chris Paul. Because as a young team, you probably will get excited. You probably will get cocky. But Chris Paul, every time he talks to the media, he says, we're not done yet. And I really think that that's what Chris Paul goes and tells these guys. Don't get too excited. Just game by game. Playoff series can change quickly. And we've all have seen that, especially this season. Things can change at any moment. So it's important for them to just lock in, take everything game by game. But this game for Saturday night, man, Suns winning that 84 to 80, which in today's game, that's a low scoring game. That's really, really low scoring. You're used to seeing teams get to over 100 easily. So there goes to show you that a lot of defense was played that game, and DeAndre Ayton finishing with 19 points and 22 rebounds, he was big time. His impact has been incredible this whole season, and there was a time in the season where I was like, I don't know about Ayton, you know, something about him where he's so talented. I love the talent. I like his size. I like what he's able to do rebounding, and I like his shot making, but I was like, man, I feel like he should be getting down low more, not shooting so much. And he's been incredible. I thought he was soft, and he pretty much shut me up this whole playoff run. He does not look soft at all. I don't know what switch flipped, but I'm telling you, he was not doing a lot of these things that he was doing during the regular season. He played good, but not great. Now he's elevated his game, and he's playing great, and he's, lo- he's showing why he was the number one pick. And he's showing Phoenix, like, hey, I know, I know you guys picked me over Luka and Trey, I'm here to tell you, you guys did not make a mistake. I'm built for this moment, and it's truly amazing. I'm telling you, the the whole story, Monty Williams, Chris Paul, first finals maybe, all of this stuff, that's why I'm pulling for this team. They're so fun to watch. Obviously, I'm pulling for them the most because of Devin Booker, and that's one of my favorite players in the league. But when you look at the history of the Suns, the history of Chris Paul, the history of Monty Williams... And then DeAndre Ayton and all the adversity that, these, that this team has faced and then knocking out the championship Lakers, how could you not root for them? Like I think they will win it all, honestly, just because of the things that they've dealt with and the adversity that they dealt with. This is why I think they are in position to win the Suns' first NBA championship in history. And just a quick note here, I am recording this right before game five in Phoenix does tip off where I do think the Suns will win behind that home crowd and advance to the NBA Finals. But if they don't, I still do think that the Suns will ultimately win this series, whether it's in 6 or 7. Suns will be advancing to the Finals. That's my honest opinion. I don't see how they don't, just the way they're playing and everything I stated before. So look for that. And whether they play the Hawks or the Bucks, we shall see. But I'm locking in those Suns going to the NBA Finals. All right, so let's dive into this Atlanta Hawks and Milwaukee Bucks series here for the Eastern Conference Finals. And when this series kicked off, it was the exact day that I recorded my last podcast and put that out there. But game one did not disappoint one bit. If you guys missed that game, I'm telling you right now, you guys missed a really, really good one. The Hawks won that one 116-113 in Milwaukee, which was pretty damn impressive, honestly. I didn't think they would do it. I thought the Bucks were going to win game one and game two at home. But hey, Trey Young came to ball and they played their asses off. I mean, I was surprised that they even beat Philly and I was surprised that they beat the Knicks. I didn't think they could do either. But then I start questioning the Hawks, right? For some reason, I'm always questioning them. I'm saying, are they built for this? Are they good enough? Are they ready? Is Trey Young good enough for this moment? And clearly, to get to this point by winning game one in Milwaukee, that disrespect to Atlanta right there. It stopped. It stopped for me. I was like, okay, I got to take this team serious. Like, this team is clearly built. I mean, to get to this point, and John Collins was big time that game one. He finished with 23 points and 15 rebounds. Trey Young, though, 48 points, 11 assists, seven rebounds. Yes, seven rebounds for Trey Young on the road. He had his way, man. He was talking a lot of shit out there, he was doing the shimmy. After he crossed Drew Holiday, the kid's just amazing, honestly. Watching him grow up in all these playoff moments and just perform in the biggest stage, unbelievable. Hostile environments. You're talking about winning games in New York City, at the Garden. You're talking about winning games in Philadelphia with that crazy crowd. This whole playoff run, the moment, he just doesn't shy away from it. Time and time again, performing. It's incredible. 48 points, 11 assists? Really? 11 assists, 2 with 48 points on the road. (laughs) That man is such a joy to watch. I'm telling you, he shoots like Curry, but then passes like Steve Nash. It's insane. It really is. And that's the type of things he's on. Anyone who disrespected Trey Young before this playoff run, I'm telling you right now, I'm sure as hell you're done with that because I was one of those. I was kind of like, man, this guy just puts up good numbers for the Hawks. All he does is shoot. And all he does is do floaters and things like that. But those assists, I didn't think he had that in him. But this season, he's been delivering it. He's been delivering it during the regular season and in the playoffs. I'm telling you, there's no more disrespect for Trey Young. This kid has has such a bright future along with Luka, both from the same class and Aiden, as I talked about er- earlier. But he deserves a lot of credit, especially from me. So I'm giving it to him. He's fun as hell to watch. I hope they win. I hope they get to the finals. I have not... A big guy on the Milwaukee Bucks, as you know. I don't believe in, I think Giannis is a little bit overrated. Yes, he's a special talent. But besides that, I'd love to see Devin Booker and Trey Young in the finals. Two offensively gifted players just battle it out for the chip. That would be awesome to watch. So it was a really impressive Game 1 win for the Hawks. And they got all my respect right there. But then let's shift things on to Game 2. Game 2, on the other hand, I have no... Idea what the hell happened there. It seemed like the Hawks just said, you know what? We won game one on the road. We're not playing. That's fine. Bucks can win this. We'll have game three in Atlanta. We'll take it back there 1 1. We did our job. We stole home court. That's what it looked like, honestly, because <laughs> that game was over quick. I don't know what the hell happened. The Bucks were up by 41 at that point, and it's not even worth diving into the game, honestly. I'm going to just tell you right here the Bucks won the game 125 to 91. It was a beatdown from the start. They led by 41, like I said. But if there's anything that you have learned from all these playoff series is that no team is out of it no matter what, and it's never over until it's over. And things can shift quickly. An injury can happen, God forbid, or momentum can shift. Anything, 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 anything can always happen, even if you're down 3-1. We've seen that time and time again in other playoffs right a team down 3-1 comes back and wins the Cavs did it in the finals a couple years ago <laughs> so the series did end up being tied one apiece leading into Sunday night's game in Atlanta and the Milwaukee Bucks ended up pulling it out 113 to 102 this was a back and forth game throughout the entire game and Trey Young was cooking especially in the first quarter he started off hot it looked like it was going to be all Hawks to begin with, but the Bucks did answer back, and they answered back pretty fast and made the game quite entertaining. Once they battled back from trailing early in this game, it was a back-and-forth game throughout. Trey Young was definitely cooking in the first quarter, like I said, but also in the third quarter. He came out of that half on one, but then he ended up tweaking his ankle a little bit late in that third quarter. He accidentally kind of tripped by the referee and his ankle kind of tweaked a bit. Right there, I think obviously that was a key part of this game because he looked a little bit hobbled after that and he didn't really have kind of that same speed because if you remember earlier in the game, he was kind of getting to his spots and getting to the free throw line, shooting that floater, laying it up and in, getting a couple and ones in there. And right after that ankle, he was just settling for three-pointers and he didn't really look comfortable. He wasn't making the shots at a high clip like he was. So I'd keep a close, close eye on that for Game 4 tonight. But the talk of the town after that Game 3 performance was Chris Middleton, especially in that fourth quarter. This guy knocked down three big shots back to back to back with just under six left in the game. He was incredible. Clutch gene activated. It's crazy. It's crazy how many times he's able to get to his spots and score when he needs to, especially late in games. And you know what? Having a guy like Middleton on that Bucs team honestly saves Giannis's ass in so many ways. I mean, because you know Giannis can't really deliver late in games because he has no moves. He has, he has no moves to get to his shot or even have a shot. <laughs> but he did make some shots towards the end of the game, so I do give him credit for that. But other than that, Middleton is always seems to be the guy to deliver late in games, and he showed out. I mean, the Bucks don't win this game if Middleton doesn't pop off the way he does. He ended up with 20 points in that fourth quarter. Big shot after big shot. The Bucks were up 101-98 to 98 with five minutes left. And right then and there, I said, all right, we're going to find out who wins this game quick. And right after that, Middleton hit two big shots after Giannis hit one. And it looked like it was all Bucks from there. And it was. The Hawks weren't able to match that late surge from Middleton and the Bucs. And they ended up winning it on the road and taking a 2-1 series lead. Trey Young finished with 35 points, four assists. Usually, the assist numbers are way up, but not this game. He did shoot 12 of 23, but that ankle injury, that whole thing changed the whole game. You can feel it, and you can see it. Trey Young did not look the same whatsoever. So like I said, for Game 4 tonight, I'm definitely keeping a close, close eye on the body language of the team and himself. But Chris Middleton finished with 38 points, 11 rebounds. Giannis with 33 points, 11 rebounds. And it was definitely a fun game. I mean, with the energy from both teams going blow for blow. The energy in Atlanta seemed pretty lit. It was a very loud place there. But game four tonight, I think the Hawks are going to take it. I think they're going to take it at home. And I honestly see this series going seven games. But I think the Bucks are going to take it, man. I don't know. I have this bad, bad feeling that I think it's the Bucks' time. I mean, they've been through this before, right? It's like every time, they never get over the hump. They seem to run into that team. Last year was the Heat. The year before that was the Raptors. They run into these tough, tough coaches that really know how to figure out Giannis. But, I mean, after so many times going down, maybe this is their year. That's what I'm thinking. I honestly have a bad feeling that this might be the Bucks' time. And I think the Bucks really have to take advantage here, taking that 2-1 series lead. Now home court is back in their favor. Remember, the Hawks took home court by winning game one. But now the Bucs responded. They did what they had to do. I do think the Hawks win game four here tonight, like I said. But I see this series going seven. And the Bucks at home, in that environment, after failing so many times in the playoffs and not delivering or getting to the finals, I think their time is now. Although I'm rooting for the Hawks because I really, really want to see Devin Booker versus Trey Young go at it in the finals. I got a feeling it's the Bucks. I think they're going to take it and they're going to advance to the finals to play the Suns, but we'll see. Tonight's going to be really important. This is a definite, definite must win for Atlanta at home because you can't afford to lose both of the games at home, especially going to Milwaukee down 3-1. That's a tough, tough task for you. I know teams have came back from 3-1, don't get me wrong, but that is highly, highly unlikely in my opinion, but we'll see how it plays out tonight. All right, so that wraps up episode 24. Man, that was a fun one to record, talking about these NBA playoffs and talking about my Miami Dolphins. I know you guys definitely enjoyed that Dolphin segment. I still can't believe it. Even right now, recording this outro here, wrapping everything up, I still can't believe that that guy really said that about Brian Flores. I mean, can you believe it? I still can't. And like I said, even if he did it for clicks, just the fact that you have the audacity to throw that out there is just ridiculous. Um, But honestly, thank you guys for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. It was fun recording it. And I'm very glad that I'm able to share my thoughts with you guys every week, every Tuesday. So once again, thank you for the support. And I will see you guys here next Tuesday and every Tuesday after that. Thanks for listening to the Miami Sports Vibes podcast with Nando Diaz.